As we move through this I Choose series, we come to a, a couple, of, couple of sermons that are going to be kind of side-by-sides, and, and today has to do with, with serving, being a servant, which is kind of a good lead-in from the last song that we sang. Being a servant is not a glamorous job. Some of you have been in that role before. You, uh, if you've ever, you know, some, some, of you, some of you serve and you actually get paid for it. I mean, if you have a job, that's kind of serving. But especially if you have a job where you interact with people, uh, maybe you've been a, a server or a waiter or a waitress, so it's probably not politically correct terms anymore, but you've been a server in a restaurant, and uh, that, that's one way that you serve people. If you've ever worked in retail, you kind of have to have a servant attitude when you, when you do retail. But you get paid to be a servant, and so maybe it's not so bad. Sometimes, sometimes we're servants, and we serve because we, we do it out of love. A mother who gets up four or five times during the night because when she put her child to bed, uh, she was running a fever. And that mother to get up in the middle of the night and to go check on that child over and over again, that's an act of service, and it's motivated by love. Or where some of you are now, where you have parents or grandparents who are aging and getting to a point where uh, they can no longer fully take care of themselves. And so you come alongside to help them and to serve them. You don't get paid for that. It's purely done out of love. And then there are times that we serve simply because we have to. Um, Like every time I had to rake leaves or mow grass growing up. That was one of those, you know, that was an act of service, yes, but I was not doing it because I loved my dad. I was doing it because I knew what would happen if I didn't do it, and the punishment was motivation enough to get it done. Okay, so so there are different ways, different motivations behind our serving that can take place, and that's okay. But one of the things we need to learn is what matters a lot about our serving is our attitude. Let me give you an example. Let me give you an example of that. When we go to the Dominican Republic in order to do some building projects, okay, build a church, work on a pastor's house or something like that, any of you who've been down there, you can vouch for this. This is not easy work. You're working with concrete blocks. You're working with, with bags of cement. You're working with some, this year we got a cement mixer, but previous to that we were mixing everything on the, ha- on the ground all that, all those piles, we're mixing all that. And this is a lot of block and a lot of cement, a lot of stuff going on. This is a lot of hard work. But what you notice is, if you've ever been, is that on the site, there's a lot of joy. Now, they're not happy because they're moving around concrete block. They're happy because... It's an opportunity to serve and to make a difference in the lives of people. So attitude matters when you're serving. But it also matters when you're being served. I I enjoy uh, going to, I want to eat at different places, but one of the places I like to go to is Chick-fil-A. And it's not just because they've got a good chicken sandwich. They do. Or because they have good milkshakes and they've got some of the best. I like to be treated well. And guess what? At Chick-fil-A, you're going to be treated well. They train their workers to be extra polite. And if you tell them thank you, they're going to say, it's my pleasure. 
And there, there are places like that. There are businesses like that. There are groups like that where you get treated well. And, and that's good because we all want to be treated as if we matter. We all want to be treated as if there's, there's something important about us, treated with respect. And so, in truth, when it comes to serving, every person does matter. And when we serve someone else, we need to keep in mind that we're not just doing them a favor. They are a person of infinite worth and value in the eyes of God. The image of God is in them. And therefore, when we serve, the attitude with which we serve them should show that they matter, that they're important, that they are special to God and to us. And so as we go through today and next week and we talk a little bit about serving, serving in the community today, serving in our church family tomorrow, as we go through that, you and I are going to have to answer a couple of questions. Number one, first question, will I serve? Am I willing to step up and say, I'll serve? And the other question is, okay, if I'm going to serve, what kind of attitude am I going to bring into my service? Am I going to do it begrudgingly? Am I going to do it grumbling all the time? Am I going to gripe and complain about it? Or am I going to bring joy into it and express that to the person who's being served? You know, sometimes we serve people and we don't do it with the right attitude. We don't do it respecting them and they know it. And so how we serve is as important as that we serve. And so last week we looked at a parable. Today we're going to continue along that same line. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to flip over to Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. A parable is a story that Jesus told. And we're going to look at verses 25 to 37, and we'll kind of break that into two chunks so that we can digest it a little bit easier. Luke chapter 10. If you don't have your Bible, don't sweat it. The Word's going to be up on the screen for you, so you'll be able to fully participate in this and, and get what is going on here. Before Jesus tells a story, we, we want to find out what happened that preceded that and precipitated Jesus telling the story. And so Luke chapter 10, we're going to start reading with verse 25. Here we go. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he, that being the expert in the law, he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In the Gospels, we find numerous occasions where Jesus is challenged and tested by the religious leaders, the religious authorities at that time. And what they were trying to do was to entrap Jesus, to try to trip him up. And what, here's basically uh, one, of their, one of the plays in their playbook was that they wanted to get Jesus involved in some kind of controversial issue, like do you, should you pay your taxes to Caesar? Okay, there were, there were people that were divided on that. And so if Jesus would take a stand, then he would at least alienate part of the people. Or in this case, 
we have religious leaders who are trying to figure out, is this guy really the Messiah? Has he really been sent from God? And so they're trying to figure it out. And so there's some general understanding. Some people say, hey, he could have come from God. But they were trying to entrap Jesus, trying to get him to pick one side or the other, trying to stir up controversy. And Jesus, he never fell for it. Ever did he fall for it. And so he used this opportunity, as he does with so many other times where people try to trip him up, as an opportunity to teach some greater truth. And that's what we want to discover this morning. So who is involved in this particular issue? Well, there was an expert in the law. Who is that? An expert in the law, your Bible translation may have that he was a scribe. This was a student of the scriptures. He knew them backwards and forwards, up and down. He'd memorized large sections of the scriptures. This is a guy who knew the Hebrew Bible very, very well. And so he comes up and asks Jesus a very simple, straightforward, seemingly genuine question, but we know that he was trying to test him. But he's asking him this question. The question was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a great question. That's a question I, I, you know, I've never just had someone wander up to me on the street and say, hey, listen, pastor, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus gets that question and he does as he often does. He turns around and asks a question in response. And his question is, what is written in the law? How do you read it? In other words, you're the expert. Okay, you're the guy who spent his whole life studying the Hebrew scriptures. You're the guy who knows this stuff backwards and forwards. So you're asking me, let me ask you, how do you read this? How does a person get eternal life? And the man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, now we know that Jesus has already said that these are the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord with all you got. Love your neighbors yourself. These are the two greatest commandments. And so, as a matter of fact, Jesus went on to say in Matthew 22, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so he is, he zeroed in on exactly what Jesus has been teaching. And so when we look at this, we don't know if he heard Jesus say it and it was just repeating it back to him. We don't know if there was a school of thought within among the, the Jewish leadership that these were the two greatest commandments. And we don't know if it's something he just came up with off the top of his head from his biblical learning. We don't know how he got the answer, but he gave the answer, and the answer was to love the Lord and to love your neighbors yourself. Jesus basically says to him, you have to nail on the head. You got it right. You're right when you say that. Now, if you'll do it, you'll live. Now, here is the scribe baiting the trap. Okay, he knew he was giving an answer that Jesus would agree with. And that leads him to ask the next question. And that question, he says, because he wanted to justify himself, he asked, and who is my neighbor? This is the theological trap, the theological puzzle, the conundrum, to get Jesus to begin to divide things up so that he begins to alienate some people. And because here, this is a human tendency, and the Jewish leaders did this, they put people into big categories or big boxes. And so here's what he was asking. 
Who is it that belongs in the neighbor box? Who belongs in the neighbor box? Who is in and and who is out? I understand that these folks that live right around me who are Jewish and religious, just like I am, I understand that those are my neighbors and I need to love those people. But, But Jesus, what about that guy that lives two streets over? That guy who's always so annoying, who's always so mean-spirited, that guy used to give me wedgies when we were kids. Am I supposed to love him? Is he in my neighbor box or is he out of my neighbor box? What about my mother-in-law? You know, she hates me. She never thought I was good enough for her daughter. Do I have to put her in the neighbor box too? What about that bum, stinky, smelly bum who always sits on the street where the temple is? And every time I come by, he's always harassing me and begging me for money and and irritating me and even calling me names. Does he belong in my neighbor box or is he out? What about that drunk that threw up on my new robe? Is that guy in my neighbor box or is he out of my neighbor box? You see, this was a debate. When the Bible says, who is my, when the Bible says, love your neighbor, then we have a challenge to determine who is that? Who is my neighbor so that I know who I'm supposed to love? Last week, remember, Peter came with a question because he wanted to know, when can I stop forgiving? Here's a question. Basically asking, when can I stop loving? Where's the line? Where's the limit? Who's in the box? Who's outside the box? Okay. Now, in response to both Peter's question last week and the expert in the law's question this week, Jesus tells a story. And here's the story he tells. So listen to this. Some of you have heard it before. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him, He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey, and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? That's Jesus' question. And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus' simple reply, go and do likewise. Some of you read this story many times. Some of you have heard it in vacation Bible school, Sunday school. You've heard more than one sermon on it, I'm sure. This is a story, a parable that Jesus is telling. He's not reporting a news report. This, hey, this is something that happened. What he's doing is he's, he's, he's got this story in which he's trying to teach a truth of what it means to love your neighbor. 
So let's look at this story and the main characters in it. Number one is an anonymous man. A man was going on this road down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Okay, we don't know anything about him. We don't know if he was tall or short. We don't know if he was fat or thin. We don't know anything about him. We can assume, as the readers would have and the listeners would have, we can assume that he was a Jewish man since he was coming from Jerusalem. We don't know that, but that's probably the assumption that Jesus intended here. Now, we also have thieves, robbers, bandits. We've got this, we don't know much about them other than that it was a group of people who were you know, waiting in ambush, jumped on this guy, And they didn't just rob him. They didn't just go up and say, hey, listen, hand me your wallet. They went beyond that. They took his clothes, which is kind of humiliating, and then they beat him half to death and literally left him for dead on the side of the road. We don't know much about them. We know they were violent. We know that they were a group of bad dudes, okay? All right, so we got the anonymous man. We've got this group of bandits, this group of thieves. And then we have three different travelers who come on that same road. The first one is a priest. Now, my understanding is that they are also coming down from Jerusalem, okay? That they're not, they're not going up to the temple in order to worship, but they've, they've, they've already worshipped. They've already been involved. Okay, so you've got a priest, someone who leads in worship, someone who serves at the temple, and most likely he's been at the temple. That would be the assumption. He's been serving at the temple, and maybe he was offering, maybe he was welcoming people, maybe he was, uh, maybe he was in charge of the showbread. You can look it up in the Old Testament. Maybe he was in charge of sacrifices. We don't know what he was in charge of, but he's coming down on this same road, and he sees this man, and He not only passed by him, it says he passed by on the other side. He got as far away from this guy as he could possibly get. The next guy is a Levite. Who's a Levite? A Levite is from the tribe of Levi, the priestly tribe. He too may have been in the temple. He too may have been serving, and he's coming along this same road. He sees this man, and he also, like the previous one, passes by on the other side. So here you have two of the religious elite. These are the cream of the crop. These men would have been highly respected, highly esteemed, highly revered. Mothers would have looked at their daughters and said, "When, when you grow up, I want you to marry a guy like this. This is the guy right here. They've just, in the modern vernacular, gone to church. Okay? They've been in a worship experience. They've been in the presence of God. They've been in the presence of other worshipers. They just had a big church experience. And now they're on the way home. And they see this guy laying on the side of the road. And they completely ignore the need and walk by. Why would they do that? And you know what? As I sat and thought about this, and this may be getting deeper than we need to in this story. But as I thought about this, there would be some legitimate reasons and some maybe not so legitimate reasons why they passed by. But probably the first and most legitimate reason was fear. Do you know what this little road was also called? The way of blood. In other words, this was a dangerous road. You, you know, even in Greene County, there's some places you probably don't want to go after nightfall. 
There's certainly some places in Athens and in Atlanta and in Macon and in Augusta, in larger towns, larger, larger cities, where you know that's just not the place to go after nightfall. There, there's some dangerous places. This is one of those. It was a shortcut, but you were taking your chances when you went on that road. And so they could have come by and said, seen this guy over here on the side of the road, and thought to themselves, I don't want, to happen, I don't want what happened to him to happen to me. As a matter of fact, that could be a setup. That may not even be his blood. They could have gone off and killed some animal and smeared blood on this guy, and they're just waiting for somebody to come. And as soon as I get over there near him, he's going to grab me, and he's going to hold me while his buddies come, and they're going to do the same thing to me that I thought they did to him. Okay? Legitimate concern. Okay? Fear. Another maybe less legitimate concern would be pride. These are the religious elite after all. These are the cream of the crop. These are the people everybody look up to. And so, I don't know if I want to go away and dirty my hands. That, that's for the common people. Let them handle him. I, I'm, I am bigger than that. Let me tell you, when it comes to serving, we don't want to think that we have that attitude, but a lot of times we do. There are things that are simply beneath us. Another possibility could be uh, just practicality. They passed by, they cantered it, took a look at the guy, and they said, dude's probably already dead. Won't do me any good to stop. I can't help a dead man. Keep on going. Got places to go, people to see, which leads us to the next one, which is busyness. Everybody's busy. Everybody's busy. Okay, they just finished. They're probably ready to get home. There may be supper waiting for them at home. There may be kids waiting to have a good night story and to be tucked in at night waiting for them at home. There may be somebody waiting at their house to do a business transaction with them. They could simply be too busy to stop. Whatever happened to us, we're just too busy to serve. And another reason, and not a very good one at all, may simply be a lack of compassion. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not that the priests and Levites didn't love people in general. But loving people in general is a lot different than loving them as individuals. You can say, hey, I love everybody. But when it comes right down to it, if there's someone with a need, saying I love everybody doesn't help. And so, as we look at this, there are rationales, some better, some worse than others, of why they did not stop. But the fact is, they didn't stop. But the third traveler did. And this would have been a scandal to Jesus' listeners, because this guy was a Samaritan. Now, I can't get into everything about the differences between the northern and southern kingdoms. We don't have time for all that. Here's what you need to know. Jews hated Samaritans, Samaritans hated Jews. Go take a look at news broadcast of what's taking place between, uh, in Gaza, what's taking place between you know, Israel and Hamas, and you get a pretty good idea of how they felt about each other, okay? It was that bad, seriously, it was that bad. 
Jews hated Samaritans, didn't want anything to do with them, only associated with them when they absolutely had to, would not sit down and eat dinner with them, wouldn't marry their kids to them, didn't want anything, anything, anything to do with them. As far as the Jews were concerned, they were lower than dirt. Okay. He's a hero. What, what happens? He comes by, he sees this guy, he doesn't pass by on the other side, he, he does more than stops. He bandages the guy's wounds. He puts medicine of their time. Uh, wine and oil were considered medicinal. He uses medicine, bandages the guy up, puts him on his own donkey, takes him to an inn, a hotel, puts him up at the hotel, takes care of him. He gets ready to leave. He pays the guy in advance. Here's two denarii. Who's two days work for me? Here's two denarii, and you take care of this guy. I've got to go do some business when I come back. If he's still here and there's still a debt to be paid, I'll take care of that too. This guy was not only compassionate, he was compassionate extravagantly. He went above and beyond in order to serve the needs of this man that he didn't even know. Now, Jesus gets to the end of the story. The Jewish leaders who are listening are probably cringing at the moment and he drops a bomb on his inquisitor which of these three he asked was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber notice his answer he didn't say the Samaritan he probably didn't want that word to come out of his mouth instead he said um the one who had mercy on him. And so Jesus says, listen, you go do the same. You go be like the Samaritan. I don't want you to miss this point. The expert in the law wanted to know who his neighbor was, but Jesus answered by telling him to be a neighbor. You get the difference? It's not who is in my neighbor box. It's you take your neighbor box wherever you go. You're the neighbor. Not who is my neighbor. I am the neighbor. And therefore, I am to respond in that neighborly fashion to those in need. He wanted to know who's in the box, who's outside the box. And can I tell you something? It's been 2,000 years and people haven't changed very much. It is far easier to deal with people if we lump them all together in some big category. If we paint them all with some massive brush, if we stick them all in some kind of a box. It's us versus them. It's black versus white. It's male versus female. It's straight versus gay. It's young versus old. It's Democrat versus Republican. It's hip-hop versus country. It's rock versus classical. It's nerds versus jocks. See, if you put people into a box and slap a label on that box, then it's easy to do two things, to disregard them and to devalue them and not to deal with them as individuals. And that's what Jesus is trying to get us to understand. We have to literally think when it comes to serving Think outside our boxes. 
think outside our categories. Think about being a neighbor rather than who is my neighbor. You see, Jesus didn't save us in order for us to just kind of bide our time until he showed back up. We've been saved to share the good news of Jesus, but also saved to serve others. Both those things should go hand in hand. And it's not just about, well, you know what, Pastor? Um, I, recently, I haven't found anybody half, laying half dead naked on the side of the road to help. It's not about helping somebody necessarily who's lying on the side of the road. It's about opening our eyes to see the needs that are all around us. Opening our hearts to feel compassion for individuals. And opening our lives to really make a difference. This morning I was in my devotional time. I know y'all just love to read, you know, like First, Second Chronicles and all that stuff. But I was, I was reading along about a guy named Jehoram. He was a king. He wasn't a good king. He was, he was a really bad king. He was so bad, listen, when, when he ascended to the throne, he had all his brothers and all his relatives killed. That's pretty bad, okay? And then he started being, you know, unfaithful to God, and it was not a good thing. But it says when he died that nobody regretted it. You want to live in such a way that when you die, and I'm not rushing it, that everybody regrets it. You want to live in such a way that your life makes a difference, makes an impact, certainly in your family, your extended family, among your friends, the place you work, the place you go to school. But wouldn't you want your life, your legacy, to be there was a man, there was a woman who had a heart to serve others, that no task was beneath them, that no service was too menial for them, that when they looked at people, they didn't label people, they didn't put people in boxes. This person, you, loved people as individuals, saw them as individuals who really, really mattered. This is what God's Word tells us. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. In other words, we don't all serve in the same way. Today we've got lunch for these football players, FCA, our, our, our high school teens. Uh, we've, we've got lunch prepared for them today. Guess what? Um, if, you, if we're going to have lunch for somebody, then we've got some folks who know how to cook. And you didn't even know that cooking could be used by Jesus, did you? Well, it can. Soaking, setting up the tables and cleaning up afterwards. Whatever you do in the name of Jesus, it matters. Let me repeat that because I, I want you to hear this. Whatever you do in the name of Jesus matters. It may not get written up in the Herald Journal. It may not be in the Lake Oconee News. The TV stations from Atlanta may not come down to interview you. Where does it matter? Jesus said, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth that can rot and be stolen. But instead, store up treasures in heaven where it's imperishable, 
whenever we serve others in the name of Jesus, even if it goes completely unnoticed here on this earth, God's watching. He's writing it down. It matters to Him. And it matters to the individual that you are blessing. And so, if this parable teaches us anything, it should be to quit asking the question, who's my neighbor? And to start asking the question, to whom can I be a neighbor? Jesus said that he did not come to be served, but he came to serve. And we're told that we're to have the same attitude that Jesus had. Serving is to be built into the DNA of every single believer. The question is not if we will serve, but who we will serve. So here's the challenge. Okay, here's the challenge. Let us be people who roll up their sleeves and touch those who are hurting and touch those who are hopeless. Let us be people who show extravagant mercy. Not begrudgingly, but extravagantly. Let us be people who declare with our voices that Jesus is alive and then prove it by how we live. Let us be the body of Jesus, the hands and the feet of Jesus in our communities to make a difference for him. Let's be faithful to use what God has given us. And he's given each of you beyond measure. Let us be faithful to use those things for his glory and for the good of people. And may the Lord be praised and honored in your service.